Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. A new midweek vancast for you, Drancer, as uh, we break down. I mean, the news came out on Tuesday that Daniel and Henrik were being brought back into the fold. Special is, it the news? Is, it, is it the news or is it the news cycle? <laughs> it's the news cycle. Uh, nicely done. Uh, off off to a good start here on the vancast. Uh, yeah, but the, the news broke Tuesday. The press release came out. But we heard from them in their own words uh, earlier today, and, and it was good. I mean, look, these guys showed the same humility and grace at the podium via Zoom that they did all those years ago uh, as players, and we know how great they were as players, and we'll see if they can live up to that sort of lofty billing now as they transition into management. But I I just like the fact, you know, sort of my overarching takeaway from uh, the availability was their willingness to admit that they're starting at the ground floor, that, as Daniel said, they're rookies, but they're old rookies, but that they've got a lot to learn, and they're embracing this opportunity to learn on the job. Yeah, they are the best of us, right? Like, these are two gentlemen who represent the absolute best of people, period. You know, it's a weird thing to cover and talk about in this hockey market in particular, because asking Canucks fans not to be cynical, J-Pat, is like asking a leopard not to be spotted. No, you know what? You know what it's like? It's like asking a Vancouverite not to complain about the heat because they spent all rainy winter wishing for it. <laughs> like, it's just not going to happen. Vancouverites are still going to complain about the heat. That's how we do it. And so with the Twins, though, we're talking about two gentlemen of the highest order in terms of everything. I mean, charitable, generous, driven, focused, right? Like family-oriented. Um refreshingly holistic in their view of what matters in life and of sports role in their life and of, and, and of fitness's role in their life. And so it's so, we're so used to listening to a press conference like that and thinking about things from the perspective of, well, they were offered the, pre- could they, where were they offered the presidency? Like, did they guide that or did the club guide that? How will Benning and them interact? Like, are they coming for Benning's job? You know, like Canucks fans are doing this a priori because that's how we're wired. And because that's how the organization, like the organization's given us such ample reason to be cynical over the last nine months. And with Henrik and Daniel, we really have to suspend that. Like when Henrik said, and I thought there was a lot of meat on that bone. I thought there was a lot of meat in that press conference, even though 
uh, some of it sounded like PR-ready sound bites. When you're a genuinely good person, your motivations sometimes sound like PR-driven <laughs> sound bites because that's what people want to hear. Uh, the, the answer, though, that I thought was really telling because it's true and because it matches what I'd heard privately and through private channels and from sources over the past month is, you know, the fundamental reason. And, and the, and the quote was, uh, the only answer is that we care about this team was Henrik's response to Ian McIntyre who asked why, yeah. um, you know, like they've taken their time, right? They've taken their time, but they feel a sense of responsibility to an organization that they gave two decades of their career to, to help if they can. And they obviously believe they can help. And that's what's, mo that's what's motivating this. And that's just such a departure from what we're used to interpreting and grappling with in terms of the motivations of top decision makers, not just in this market, but across professional sports. And, and that's the challenge with the twins is you all of a sudden go from having to be skeptical of everything if you want to get the story right to actually needing to assume the best of like, oh, well, no one would conduct, like you actually kind of have to assume that when interpreting exactly what the twins are doing and what they're thinking and what's guiding their decision-making process. And it, it is a, it is a shock, I think. And one that I was sort of reminded by, um, reminded of as I processed what they said and what was said in Wednesday's presser. Yeah, and they both talked a lot about team building, and that's something that I do think that they can bring to this right away. Like Daniel talked at length about wanting to learn, you know, what goes into scouting and and some of the the business side meetings, and so that's still on the to do list. But as far as what wasn't that they, wasn't that Henrik? I don't know. Was it? I they, <laughs> it was definitely Henrik. <laughs> I think they both they both addressed uh, the team building issue though, and and that yeah. look, look, they played on good teams. They were the best at what they did for a while uh, in a highly competitive sport. And so they can bring some of that. And I know that they didn't get their hands on the Stanley Cup, but they came that close and they were part of a team. And, and they referenced it, too, that, you know, we can all point to 2011. 2011 was sort of the final product. I mean, you go back those years earlier uh, where it was a work in progress and they had to build and, and they saw the evolution of putting a team together that ultimately could contend for the Stanley Cup. And and I was happy to hear, and it came later, I think it was Ben Kuzma's sort of follow-up question to Jim about, you know, how willing are you going to be to take their input, right? Like, nobody wants this just to be ceremonial. And I thought Jim was pretty candid, too, and said, like, yeah, like, I want to hear what these guys have to say. So we know history has shown that others that have stepped up and spoken up inside that organization haven't been long for the organization but the Canucks as a franchise, they, they can't afford to have this thing go sideways. Like, it almost has to work. Like, we, we saw what happened with Trevor Linden, uh, and, and nobody liked the way that ended, obviously. As a franchise, they can't afford to mistreat these guys, too, can they? Well, no. And one thing to note, though, is the Twins are going in, first of all, having consulted with Trevor. Yes. As they confirmed on Wednesday, I don't think anyone's surprised by that. Trevor and the twins were very close, uh, always have been. And having consulted with Stan Smeal too, um, and they're not going in in top decision makers' right. jobs. Yeah. That's not their portfolio. And 
I would expect the Twins to approach this the same way they approached, you know, every witheringly persistent cycle shift of their career and these past negotiations and, you know, mastering running marathons and, and two-touch soccer and ping pong, right? Which is, fundamentally, there's a desire to be the best. But when they say, like, there's no game plan here, we don't have an end game, I, I believe that too. Like, how do you square that with my declaration that we have to suspend cynicism? It's that they don't, I don't think they exactly know how they can best help like, they don't know what they don't know, and they know they don't know what they don't know. And I think they're going to come in and find what they want to do. And maybe that is ultimately to pursue being a general manager or pursue being a club president. But maybe it's that they want to be player development guys. Or maybe it's that they want to be pro scouts or amateur scouts or what have you. I mean, they honestly don't know. And I think they're going in with open minds. But make no mistake, these are as focused and driven um, as anyone you'll ever meet, right? Like th- whatever they're going to go in and do, and I don't think they know exactly what they want or or even, you know, the shades of what certain things look like yet as they admitted themselves. Like what they don't know about hockey operations minutia is legion. But they know that whatever they're going to do, they're going to want to do best. Like they're going to want to be the best they can be at whatever they do. And, you know, it's going to be a process. I don't, I don't expect they'll be heard from a ton. I, I, I think they are going to say the right things and be a little bit guarded and, you know, learn, like truly learn. Wide-eyed was how Daniel Sedin explained it uh, or, or presented it. And I thought that was uh, sharp. Um, wide-eyed. And one area, though, JPAT, where I do think they can help immediately is by just increasing the surface area of Canucks management, right? Like you've got these guys who are going to have relationships with players, right? Bo Horvat, Alex Edler, if he's resigned, um, you know, I mean, they don't know Elias Pettersson well, but certainly I'm sure they'll have a close relationship pretty quick there. Sure. Um, but, but certainly some of this club's leadership they've played with directly. And, you know, you saw Bo Horvat's reaction to them being hired on Twitter and, uh, obviously, Alex Edler, you know, I'm sure we'll have coffee with them every day. <laughs> um, you know, Travis Green, coach them, right? The, there's going to be this added communication layer, right? These guys who are able to fan out and talk to people at every level of the organization in a frank way, in a human way, right? And sort of bring that information up the chain and bring information down the chain too, where appropriate. Right. And boy, is that something this club has lacked, uh, especially since Trevor Linden's departure a couple summers ago, right? Like that is something they were desperate for this past year. And when people ask like, how can the twins have an immediate impact on this organization for me, enhancing that connectivity, like that's exactly what they're so well positioned to do on day one. And day one, by the way, was not on Tuesday. It's July 1st. Their deals begin at the start of the next fiscal, um, I'm told by sources close to both sides of the negotiation. So uh, while it was announced this week, they will formally join the club next week um, on Canada Day. Lots more to get to here on what we heard from Daniel and Henrik uh, speaking out for the first time, or speaking up for the first time uh, since being named special advisors to the general manager. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. I thought uh, there was an answer to uh, Bullis's question about analytics. And I love the fact that Henrik got into, like, anytime that any, you know, a, a hockey guy sort of peels back the curtain, lets us in a little bit. I love that answer about, yeah, he's interested in analytics, but for them, it was more just about winning their matchups straight up whenever they played. It was more about being better than the guys on the other side of the ice and sort of everything would flow from there. Well, and I liked it too, because what captures that better than the on-ice shot metrics, right? Right. Like as, as Henrik sits down and I'm sure Henrik and Daniel will do this, right? Like I'd imagine that Henrik and Daniel will sit down with various, you know, department leaders within the Canucks organization and get the crash course in how pro scouting works. You know, what does a director of player personnel does, uh, do, excuse me, um, you know, contract negotiations, what are comps, who should we be keeping an eye on around the league as relevant comps, um, you know, uh, sitting down with a guy like John Wall and what goes into day-to-day roster management and the immigration issues and sitting down with a guy like Chris Gear and, and figuring out the contract side of it and cap strategy and on and on. Um, you know, sitting down with John Weisbrod and, and Jim to talk uh, general portfolio and, and amateur scouting and pro scouting and, and, you know, player types and on and on, right? And, you know, as they do that, I'm sure they'll begin to learn a little bit more uh, about analytics and and I think what they'll notice especially because the Canucks have an in-house expected goals model right um an in-house scoring chance model that Travis Green often cites right and that doesn't exactly match what we have on natural stat trick but it's pretty close typically speaking um and Bullis himself has gotten into the habit of confirming for Travis how close it is have you noticed that in post-game availabilities <laughs> yes. that Daniel yeah. Wagner always is like, what did your, and Travis always plays with, like, he's always willing to be like, yeah, I think we had three, <laughs> you know, or I think we gave up three. Um, so the Canucks have their own in-house model, and I'm sure the Sedins will be schooled in it. Uh, Aiden Fox might be the guy who does it, right? Aiden Fox uh, is under John Wall in the Canucks analytics department and is the analytics guy who works closest hand-in-hand hand hand with Green and the coaching staff. Um, you know, I'm sure they'll, I'm sure they'll, begin to realize pretty quickly that what they articulated, like what Henrik articulated about winning the shift is actually best captured by some of those metrics as opposed to plus minus, which he sort of went to. Um, but, you know, outscoring your opponent matters. Right? And I think that's what he was getting at. And I loved that answer. I thought it was extremely thoughtful and open-minded. Um, and and I'll be curious to see his evolution on that sort of side of the, the ledger too, as the years progress. All right. My, maybe my favorite moment, at least the low-key favorite moment, and it was a f- almost 40-minute Zoom. And again, they covered a lot of topics, and there's still a few things I, I want to get to. But uh, I, I thought of you, did you catch the side eye? Like when I saw the side eye from Henrik to Daniel, I thought immediately of you when Daniel was talking about the way the game has evolved, and it's a faster game now, and it's more skilled. And then what did he say? Like they wouldn't have stood a chance in today's NHL. Yeah. And Henrik, <laughs> there was a moment, Henrik looked at him like, what? <laughs> what, are you t- <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> it was awesome. It was incredible. Yeah. They'll be totally, they'd, they'd be totally fine. They're, they're great. Um, yeah. No, I mean, 
you know, speaks to their humility. And, and Daniel, Daniel has the more acerbic sense of humor, right? Like we're rookies, we're old rookies, but we're yeah. rookies, right? Like Daniel's got the zingers, typically speaking. Um, he did there too. And, and I sort of read that as a tongue in cheek zinger. But one thing I do know about the twins, and there's like a school of player that I actually talk to somewhat regularly, which, and they're usually European based and they're guys who had tremendous success often in the nineties and the early aughts. And they see the game now and they see a lot of individual play, a lot of rush shots. Uh, it's a shoot first league. Um, you know, it's a speed game, not as much East West play, not as much spatial problem solving team to team, right? A, a lot more one on one. Well, not when it's not one on one sort of taking a guy one on one because defenders are so good at the NHL level that you have to use your teammates. But it's just a speed game, skating, shooting league now as opposed to the way the twins play. And all of those types of players, and I know Henrik and Daniel included among them, really admire things like the Washington Capitals, right? And the Washington Capitals power play and the Tampa Bay Lightning and teams that play with some of that chemistry. And when they talk about having had their core group together and building that trust and figuring out how to maximize, you know, the weapons that were available to them as as world-class playmakers, but also within the framework of a team game and the opportunities that players sometimes miss because of how tempo-driven the, the contemporary NHL is. Like, I think that's what Daniel is hinting at, right? If we came in now, would we even get the opportunity to figure out how to play the East-West game that we needed to be successful considering the way the league's evolved? I think that's what he's hinting at, but make no mistake, the Twins would have figured it out. They're way too good, way too hardworking. Um, you know, they, they, they were incredible. And, and I actually also think their late bloomer narrative At some point, I'll I'll dive into this. But when you look at their ice time and their production, like their early seasons, like their early West Coast Express before the lockout seasons are actually underrated uh, in terms of their impact. Like they were better than people remember earlier in their career. They just didn't get PP one time and they didn't get enough ice time. They were actually probably underutilized by Mark Crawford in, in that sort of 2002 to 2005 time frame. Um they were a lot better, a lot quicker than a lot of people realize and that probably the team itself realized. Um, and, and that's just an important thing, I think, to note in terms of assessing their legacy overall. Their unassailable legacy still needs defending, j <laughs> All right. Well, you are the man uh, for that job. Uh, you know, I, I had to ask because when the press release came out yesterday, like their duties were so wide ranging. It was sort of hard to cut through uh, all the wording. And so I was glad that we had the opportunity to talk to them directly and to sort of get a little bit of clarity on, you know, some of the job description. But there was a line in the press release that talked about them working with the AHL coaching staff and prospects. Mm-hmm. So I had to ask, like, was there an on-ice component to any of this? And I got shot down pretty quickly. Oh, in in, in hilarious fashion, right? Oh, it like, was. It was good. <laughs> no skates. But you <laughs> know what? That's good. <laughs> That that's good too, man. That's good too. Like coaches don't love ex executives stepping on the ice with their players, typically, right? That's that's a thing that you know people don't always love. <laughs> um, and and I, I I was surprised though. Daniel said they haven't skated in three years. Like not even a free skate with the kids. Well, they play in that uh, autism, the Canuck autism. That's right. Okay. So. He wasn't completely truthful. They have been on skates, but not on. Right, okay. 
Yeah, yeah. So, again, Daniel with the zingers. Yes. Daniel's the one you have to take with a grain of salt, but still no cynicism. Henrik sets him up for the one-timers and the one-liners, and Daniel's <laughs> Daniel's, a, Daniel's yeah. a finisher. <laughs> He's the trigger man. He's got yeah, the zingers. Exactly. Nothing's changed. Uh, but I, I do think that, you know, the, the one thing that made them successful, like, yeah, they were incredibly skilled, but all those stories, they're legend now, uh, about how hard these guys worked. Like right up to the end and the fitness testing and training camp and all that kind of stuff. And and so we know that there were some struggles to adjust to life in the National Hockey League. And even though they were superstars headed for the Hall of Fame, you know, if they do work with prospects out in Abbotsford, even if it's an off-ice thing, like they're so approachable, they're so down to earth. And I think that they can just instill that part. Like that's the wisdom that they can impart on some of these young players is – you know, you may have been the most skilled guy on your junior team, another level, whatever. You know, this is our backstory. This is how hard we had to work to achieve the success that we had. You know, you're going to have to do the same. So, I mean, I do think there's value. It'll be interesting to see sort of how hands-on ultimately they are with the prospects. But they talked about making the trek out to Abbotsford. And if they go together, they can carpool and use the HOV lane, uh, I suppose. Fire up the Volvo and, and get out to Abbotsford. Uh, but I, I'm curious to sort of see how much interaction they actually have is as you said like there is a barrier there I mean there's a coaching staff in place and it's going to be the same coaching staff that was in Utica Jim confirmed that as well uh, but I'll be curious to see how much interaction these guys have with the next wave of Canuck prospects well and across the board how much they work right how much like think about Jim Benning right Jim Benning spends a lot of yeah, to his credit right to his credit Jim Benning gets a lot of criticism in this market from you and I included, but to his credit, right, Jim spends a lot of time on the road during any given year, right? Like Jim puts in the work and is at rinks himself. Um, you know, there is a thought, there is a thought that you can see enough games to be dangerous and not enough games to be truly informed as an executive that does that type of work. I mean, that's a balance that you have to work through, but like Jim's at the U18s every year. Right. That's a two and a half week commitment, sometimes in like X backwater in Slovakia. Right. Um, there's no question. Like, there's a lot of work, a lot of travel, a lot of unglamorous work that goes into hockey management. And so, you know, are the twins going to at some point perhaps go on a road trip that takes them through, you know, Stockton and Henderson and some of those unglamorous AHL markets on the West Coast, Bakersfield? Um, are they going to travel with the NHL team on occasion? Are they going to spend weeks away from family? Uh, if they go, if they go over to Orange Goldsbeek, are they going to, you know, spend some time going and catching Timra and Brynäs and some of those SHL teams uh, that I'm totally butchering the pronunciation? <laughs> um, you know, uh, that's sort of what what I'm also interested to see as this evolves is, you know, how. How much in the muck do they end up getting in terms of the workload and in terms of the sacrifices that come with it? Because that's sort of a big separator between a guy like Steve Eiserman and a guy like Chris Drury and, you know, various other players that sort of dabble in hockey management and decide ultimately to, to do t TV or something that's a little... Um, you know, lighter weight in terms of the lifestyle. This just sort of dawned on me, but like this would be a fascinating test for them early on to send them to the same game, ask them not to speak or share information 
and get their scouting reports and see how, because, I mean, they were asked. Like, they, they saw the game the same way as players. They had that innate sixth sense as identical twins that allowed them to succeed the way they did. But it would be wild to just read independent scouting reports from Daniel and Henrik and see how <laughs> similar or how different they are. Yeah, they're just judging every player based on how quickly they can handle a rolling puck on the wall with their backhand, right? It's just like, <laughs> oh man, that guy, that guy pulls pucks off the wall like a pro. <laughs> I mean, Henrik and Daniel's perfect team, I feel like, is just going to be a bunch of guys that can, in one motion, control a rolling puck on the wall and send a backhand saucer pass accurately 50 feet. Do you remember, do you remember at the All-Star competition when they used to do the mini nets passing competition and like yeah. only the oh, twins yeah. could... <laughs> Only the twins could successfully execute it. That's my favorite part of All-Star Weekend back in the day when, when they were still playing. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I do think, like, I, in, in, in talking to a bunch of people close to the twins over the course of the past week, I'd heard a, I heard a story, and I've included it in a column that's running at The Athletic today, but I'll, I'll mention it here too. I heard a story that they split their bonuses 50-50 as players, right? Because if one guy hit a bonus that was like, oh, you scored two more goals and I had more assists and I didn't have a bonus for that. Like, they just they just split it all. They just split it all 50-50 because they couldn't accomplish whatever it was without the other, right? And so fundamentally, fundamentally, while I do think they have different personalities, right? While, while Daniel's got the zingers and Henrik's the setup guy, while Daniel's the shooter and Henrik's the, the setup guy, um, you know, Henrik's a little bit more... Uh, I think interested in in social interaction and and Daniel's uh, I think a little bit more of an individual contributor in terms of how he's wired. Uh, while while all of that is true, fundamentally, whatever they do, they are going to do it together, and it's worked out for them so far. Yeah, because they were asked uh, the Swedish correspondent from NHL.com asked like you know, will you guys ever split up here on the job? Like, will one guy handle one aspect and another uh, somewhere else? And, and I'm not sure that they know the answer yet. As you said, like, they don't even start for another week here. Uh, it's all been conceptual to this point. It took a while, obviously, to hammer out uh, roles that they were uh, agreeable to. But I, mean, I am curious about that. Like, again, we look at them as a single entity, right? Like, I'm guilty of that uh, throughout their playing days. They were the twins, but they are two human beings and they're capable of independent thought. Um, but they have spent so much of their lives together. Like, will they be in lockstep on this job? Like if one guy's going scouting, are they both going scouting or would they ever be sent uh, in different directions? I, I guess uh, only time will tell there, but. Well, but, but think about it. If you've got a hive mind, you know what I mean? Like, should you ascend over the course of, the, of a decade to a top job? Right. And, and whether your brother's a co-GM or an assistant general manager, if you do really see the game similarly 95% of the time and 5% of the time you have disagreements, but at the end of the day, you're going to make a decision that you make in consensus. Like that's also a superpower, right? Like that's the ability to be in two places at once. Like who else? There's no other hockey executives that has that luxury. Um, I mean, that's also an advantage. That's like, that's like the prestige. It allows them to do uh, the disappearing man without a <laughs> without a trap door or a or a body double. Um, that's, I mean, that's incredible. Like now that you've met, I've never thought of it in that way, but now that you've sort of brought it up in that context, I'm just like, man, that's actually a huge competitive advantage that they could eventually wield over every other executive in the in the hockey world. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. I do wonder, and you've worked in an NHL front office. First of all, do you think that this will be a public-facing job in any way? Like, we know that in season, the Canucks try to control the message. Travis likes to be the only one that speaks for the coaches. We get Jim on occasion. But there aren't a lot of voices in season that we hear from. Like, how are we going to know how things are going with Daniel and Henrik? Do you think we'll have access to them as special advisors? Here and there. Here and there. At least that's what I would expect. I would I would expect prescribed access to discuss specific topics like work with a specific player or you know what I mean like we'll hear from them on subjects related to you know Canucks history things like when those crop up here and there and in the event that there's you know uh, a player who improves and they worked with Daniel on something, you know what I mean? Like then we'll hear from them in a, in a column that I write or, or iMac or Coos or whomever, right? Like I, I think it'll be pretty prescribed. I certainly don't expect that we'll hear from them on overall team performance or direction, uh, especially, especially at the outset, especially as they get their feet wet. Perhaps that evolves with time as their portfolios and self-confidence expands in their new life as hockey operations execs, but certainly I wouldn't expect that we're going to get a Henrik Sedin State of the Union type commentary at any point, you know, 24, in the next 12 to 24 months. Like I would, I would think that they are going to be guarded and deliberate as they are in everything and, and we'll have the emotional maturity to avoid stepping on toes, um, certainly in, in public commentary, um, you know, and not that they would, I mean, they're so careful, right? They're spin masters. Uh, but you know, I, I do think I do think it'll be prescribed. I think we'll hear from them very selectively over the over the course of the next little bit. It'll be interesting to see what this does for consumer confidence. We know that uh, it's been a tough run for the organization. Obviously, it was a difficult season. You know, I don't think today's introduction sells a lot of tickets, but I do think that having Daniel and Henrik back in the fold and on board can help sell the vision of this hockey club moving forward but huge oh, win it's a no, huge it, win from it's that a good it's a well it's a really good day for the organization and i hope it's the start of a lot more good days because they need them quite frankly but yeah. I, I just i don't know that the phones are going to be ringing off the hook at rogers arena people wanting to buy tickets or renew their tickets well, just is because there, is there any inventory right now well is there anybody answering phones that's a right. that's a different question but uh no I, but I, the, the point stands i think that you know, this move in and of itself, I don't know if it's enough to restore 
all the consumer confidence that was lost, but I think it's a massive first step in the right direction. Yeah, exactly. And and I think there is there is a real chance that these are the right people in the right place at the right time. And you know, no organization gets worse by adding people as smart, hardworking, and genuinely good in terms of the caliber of their character as as Henry and Daniel. Period. Um, you know, like it, we talk in sports, so we're always like, "Oh, good hire, bad hire," right? Like that's what we do. But like, you know, if a law firm had hired Henrik and Daniel, I'd be like, "Great hire." That's you know, <laughs> like like it, if a restaurant chain had been like, "We're bringing in Henrik and Daniel," I'd be like, "Man, no organization gets worse adding people like that." <laughs> so yeah, I mean, look again. I think this is. Uh, I don't just think this is a PR win. And I think the temptation to view them as PR shields is wrong. They're too smart to be used that way, too deliberate in everything and, and, and in how they've approached, um, you know, their entry into NHL hockey operations jobs. I think, uh, I think it's very clear, though, that anytime you add people like that to your organization, it's a good day. And, and as I said, I think, I think there's a connectivity that they'll bring on day one that will provide huge value in terms of you know, not getting the club back to winning on the ice necessarily, but at least getting them back to being more stable off of it. And this organization could use that, especially based on the nine months that we've endured since the club left the bubble in Edmonton following that hopeful and scintillating run uh, last August and September. Well, they're on the job July 1st. July shaping up to be a massive month for all teams in the National Hockey League, but uh, certainly the Vancouver Canucks as well, so hopefully well, and before before we sign off, I wanted to say one thing. I want to tell a quick story if I can. Yeah. So I, I tweeted about this, and I, I just want to bring it up briefly. But I, my best buddy, one of my best friends, is getting married on in on the Sunshine Coast in August, and I booked a place on Airbnb for a week, and for me and three other couples, so eight people total, and it's really hard to find four bedroom accommodations on the Sunshine Coast. You know, even if you're operating three months, three, three, four months out, which we were at the time. And two of the people staying with me are in the wedding party, right? Like this was like a really, a, a really crucial thing that we locked down early, paid a multiple thousand dollar deposit, and we got price gouged by some unscrupulous hosts on Airbnb. Um, nothing we could do. They canceled the reservation and we were completely in the lurch. Like my faith in humanity destroyed by, you know, post-pandemic price gouging by some absolute crooks. And our pal Gurjee of H&I Roofing reached out to me. He's got a place. He's got a four-bedroom place on the Come Sunshine on. Coast in Seashell. And, he's, and he stepped up, and we've got it sorted, and I'm staying at Gurjeet's. Um, he literally pulled that out of the fire. Like, it, it, is not, it is not a stretch for me to say the following. Gurjeet saved my summer, Gurjeet saved my buddy's wedding, and Gurjeet restored my faith in humanity. So I just wanted to give our good pal a huge shout out. I could not be more grateful to him for his extraordinary kindness and generosity. I thought you were going to say that the Sedin swooped in and saved the day somehow. <laughs> I mean, but I mean, but as good better. as much as much as I as, as I say nice things about the twins and and admire them as people. Uh, you know, Gurjeet's even higher on my power rankings, and that's saying something. Well, that's incredible. Massive shout out to Gurjeet and 
the fine folks at H and I Roofing. They were one of the first to jump on board with us here at the VanCast uh, when we were able to bring on local partners. So, uh, I mean, that's an amazing story. So, uh, what a great, what a great man. Yeah. Honestly, right. I'm, 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 I was honestly devastated and just over, like, bowled over by his kindness. I, I, I just wanted to, I just wanted to say it because. You know, there is good in this world, even though there's often, you know, profiteering frustrations that arise from people being absolute dicks. Um, but Gurjeet, one of the good ones, great guy. If you need, if you have any roofing needs, I can promise you, this is a person, his character also, like the twins, highest caliber. H&I Roofing, and the website is hiroofing.com. Check them out if you've got roofing needs. Uh, also, check out the uh, other pot options here at The Athletic. There are lots of them. Carolina Hurricanes head coach Rod Brindamore, who just won the Jack Adams as coach of the year, joins Scott Burnside and Pierre Lebron on the two-man advantage edition of the Athletic Hockey Show. That's available now at The Athletic. We always finish up by saying, check out our comment section for every podcast episode that we do. You can do that at The Athletic app. Drop us a line, a review, comments, questions, concerns, uh, suggestions, whatever. Uh, hit us up at the Athletic app. Also, rate and subscribe to the VanCast on Apple. And if you're not already a subscriber, go to theathletic.com slash VanCast and receive a subscription for just $3.99 a month. Grantsford's got a new piece up right now about the Sedins being brought on board uh, in these senior advisor roles, special advisors to the general manager. Uh, so you can find that. That's posted at the Athletic as well. All right. Uh, this is the second of three for the week. So we'll be back with one more. Brand new VanCast for you before the week is through. For Drancer, it's J-Pat. Thanks so much, as always, for your support and for listening to another edition of the VanCast here at The Athletic and TheAthletic.com.